There's a phrase that goes along with swarming and timing of swarming. It, it's something like, a swarm in May is worth a bale of hay, a swarm in June is worth a silver spoon, a swarm in July isn't worth a fly. So it's like all about timing. Sometimes it's, it's good, but you could have done better if you waited, and then if you wait too long, it's, you're not gonna survive. My name's Heather Madela. I do honeybee research. Welcome to Subject Matter Tabletop. I'm Steve Gotzler. And I'm Jordan Tynes. So this is our first episode of this. We are learning as we go along. We're trying right. some things. We're coming up with the format mm -hmm. for the segments for the show. So bear with us while we fit, we smooth out some wrinkles here. Yeah, think of this very much as a pilot episode, right? A little rough around the edges. A few notes about the production. We're using field recording materials, equipment here. We have bumps and squeaks, squeaks of the chairs and things like that. Yep. We are always talking to the guest in their homes mm -hmm. or in a home of some kind. Yeah. And uh, so you'll hear a fridge or a dog or a car drive by. Right. Uh, that's just always going to be there. Yeah. Um, we also spend a little extra time, like right now, mm -hmm. explaining each segment as we go along. Yeah. So this episode should be a little bit longer than yeah. what you'd expect. Yeah. But then once we've sort of established the, the format of the show, hopefully those things will flow more naturally for listeners. Yeah, so in March, we sat down with Heather Madela, uh, a person who researches honeybees to play bee lives, and we had a conversation about honeybees and their lives and about board games. And in each episode of Subject Matter Tabletop, we'll follow a similar structure. Yeah, so we'll start with a sort of short introduction of our guest and a discussion of their background. Then we'll give a brief explanation of the game that we played for that episode and talk about a few features we found particularly important to our experience when we're playing it. Yeah, and immediately after that, you'll hear a few snippets of gameplay th sprinkled throughout um, the, the episode, but right about at that point in the episode, we'll do a little montage of mm. gameplay sounds. Like a highlight reel, if and you will. And then right after that, you'll hear the guest's immediate reaction to the game the thoughts they had about what the game is trying to communicate and how it relates to their subject matter or its subject matter, which should match with the uh, expert's subject matter. For sure. Uh, then we'll wrap up by sharing some of our takeaways. We'll have a Steve and Jordan conversation, um, exchanging thoughts about the game, our experience playing it with the guest, and we will give it, we'll hear more about this later, a subject matter score. We're not rating it. It's going to be a score, though. Yeah. Subject matter. Score. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Now, let's get to know Heather. Let's do it. Heather Madela <laughs> studies the organization of animal societies, insect communication, and the evolution of cooperation using the honeybee as a model. And we're here today sitting in front of and around a copy of Bee Lives, We, we Will, will only... only Know Summer. <laughs> That's right. And it's got a subtitle. We'll refer to it here from here on out as Bee Lives, though. Yeah. Uh, and it was produced in 2019 by Matt Shoemaker, a uh, librarian, or he, I don't know if he's currently a librarian. It was when we met him. him. When yeah. we met him, he was a librarian. And um, he his about section on hitemwithashoegames.com or whatever the website is for Hit em with a Shoe Games mm -hmm. is, um, says he has an MLIS. Yep, Masters of and, Library and Information Science. And a 
master's in history. Mm. Is he a beekeeper? Interesting. And he is also a hobbyist beekeeper, or however gotcha. you would describe when we met him. Hobbyist yeah. is how you would say it, for okay. sure. Like somebody who has them in their backyard okay. for fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had a, um, a booth at the convention we were at, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think he was selling maybe some of his own He had money. copies yeah. of Beelize, I think, or maybe he just had a demo copy and was trying to encourage interest in the Kickstarter. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think you, you, you caught your eye because you had backed the project. So you saw it and you said, oh, I back that game. Let's go look at this really quick. And we walked over there, and you were looking at it, showing it to me. Like, oh, it's this really cool B game. I think you might have even mentioned, like, I want to play with this person I know named Heather and see what she thinks of it. Mm-hmm. And, and did then, Taylor have bees at that point? No, no. This is before. So um, yeah, Heather's bringing up a, an important point here. Mm-hmm. I've since now, since I bought this game, and since I met Matt, and since I met Heather, we now have a. Um, beehive on our property at home and yeah. so so there's some bee lives <laughs> happening in, in my All backyard woods so there's to speak. bee lives in my backyard okay too. yeah so <laughs> you want to so you want to talk maybe a little bit about that just sort of like i think for most of us we can kind of make some sense of that that sort of abstracted descent descendants that we're seeing but mm-hmm. um are hearing about in the context of the podcast mm-hmm. uh, but what 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 about the honeybee makes it useful as a model for studying the evolution of communication and uh, animal societies and things mm-hmm. like that. What, what, what drew you to the bee, the mm. bee specifically? Well, I, I really do love animals. When I was a kid, I wanted to be an animal activist, which has probably zero you know, IRS value. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I ended up uh, just becoming very interested in animals in general. I always have loved social animals. And when I was an undergrad, I took a honeybee behavior class, and then I took an insect behavior class, so it was more general. I took an animal behavior class. I just took all these behavior and bug classes, and then I volunteered in a bee lab when I was kind of the age of the students that we're teaching now at Wellesley, Mm -hmm. and I really loved it. I just, I love, I personally love building things, and that's one thing I love about bees is that it requires a lot of equipment, and it's a lot of woodworking, and Mm. it's a lot of outside time. It's very tactile. It's very visual and lots of smells. Just, it always appealed to me. Um, So I did that as an undergrad, and I spent a few years working with monarch butterflies, but then when I went back to grad school, I just stuck with bees. I, I, they, and they are a fabulous model for understanding the evolution of whole kinds of different ways that honeybees and other animals work together to build a really strong society. Honeybees are kind of the zenith of that. Uh, maybe less so would be something like a group of coyotes, like in the arboretum next to our house. We hear the coyotes all the time. They're not as well organized, but they are very social. There's going to be family groups and friend groups. But the bees are just this massively to the nth degree expression of that kind of sociality and what makes them so easy to work with and i think the reason over centuries people have used them Mm. as a model organism is because you literally can put them in your backyard they're above ground you can look at them you can open them up you can put it back together you can move it wherever you want you can watch how it changes over the year Mm. and for a lot of social animals that is extraordinarily difficult to do like if you think of your average uh, social insect, most of them live underground and you need a backhoe to even understand what's going on below the surface or they live in a tree or, yeah. you know, more and more things like that. And because these bees make food that people can eat, we over centuries in different cultures have figured out ways to work with them that makes 
us able to take their colonies apart and not get hurt. Whereas, you know, if you're looking for ants or mm. wasps to eat, you're going to get stung and it's going to be really painful and the whole thing falls apart at the end. So there's this long history of people studying honeybees um, and it's built into this modern system of them being a great model organism. Now we know tons about their genome. They were like, I think the fourth insect to get their genome hmm. sequence. So there's a lot we know about their internal workings, but there's a huge deep history of, of people watching them and trying to figure them out over the decades. Like Aristotle wrote about them. Right. So just a deep history. And, and like I say, across cultures yeah. here and there. Interesting. So it, we're recording this sort of at the tail end of winter. We're desperate mm -hmm. for spring to come around here mm -hmm. in New England. Mm -hmm. And uh, we can make the connection maybe to the title of this game. Yeah. Uh, how are they doing here at the end of winter? Because they're only exposed to ever know summer. Uh, you know, that's, <laughs> the, that's what's implied here with the... Uh, that's what's implied, but it's not really the case. Ooh, okay. Um, so. But I do like the title because I think it, it gives you this race, a sense of the ominous race that they're in, which is really true. Like mm. the summer is the time for them to put everything in the bank so that they can make it through the winter. And the bees that are doing that work are not the ones that will see winter. So they're really oh. putting everything away for their future sisters to take care of everything throughout the winter so that the colony can exist again and do this race again the next oh. summer. So it's intergenerational cooperation as well. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yes, it is. In many, in many ways, because the queen is the mom and the workers are the daughters. And that's one of the hallmarks of true sociality is having multiple generations coexisting mm, at once. Okay, okay. It's amazing. What would you hope people, more people would know about honeybees? Yeah, well, I think that story is kind of coming out because when I started working with bees, nobody thought it was helpful. They thought, oh, why would you do that? You're going to get stung all the time. That sounds dirty and like you're outside a lot. And we were dirty outside, getting stung a lot, sweating all the time, doing mm -hmm. field work. But then when around 2006, when colony collapse disorder mm -hmm. really started becoming a problem and there was just this huge explosion of research money and interest in honeybees, the public sentiment has changed remarkably. And that, for me, I was lucky. I was on the job search at that point, and all of these uh, well, labs started hiring honeybee people because yeah. it was such a globally recognized crisis for bee loss. And that's just one species, but it's a very important right. species because we're the one. it's the one that we're using for pollination and for our food, for food, for food production mm -hmm. in, and it's not the only one, but it is, in many ways, the first on the list for a lot of crops. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, I feel like the message I used to say, like, bees are good. This is what they do for us. It's really gotten out there in the public yeah. conscious mm. consciousness. So now I'm thinking about, I, I just, it breaks my heart a little bit when people say, well, I like your bees, but I'm going to kill all those wasps and everything mm. else that looks like a bee, but I don't, and then mm. people get everything mixed up. So in general, I just have a plea for, Anything that stings and looks like a bee, just let it do its thing. It's actually a really important part of it. So that's my, that's my like meta message is, if you like honeybees, start liking everything else because yeah. they're just as important in their own way. Without playing this game, without reading the rule book or thinking about the way this game frames that yeah. question or that topic, what are bee lives all about? Hmm. Well, it depends which bee you are, right? So I think what we're mostly talking about here, it looks like our worker bees because they're, they seem to be the ones that are getting things done, which is expected. Of course, it looks like it also 
matters what kind of queen they have. And I remember reading that in, in the instructions. And that does matter too. That's a really big deal. So in general, if we're thinking about a worker life, their lives are a lot of hard work. So the first thing they do, they, as soon as they're born, you know, they, they go through their development period where the other workers are feeding them and they grow legs and wings. And on day zero of being an adult bee, the first thing they do when they come out of their cell is turn around and start cleaning other cells around them. So they're like housekeepers right away. That's mm. their first job. It's mm. a really simple, inside, safe, low-skill job. It was one of the first chores I was given. As yeah, right. clean yep. your room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And and the bees, when they're developing, they're, they're in this little cell for weeks and they've pooped in there you know Mm -hmm. there's old cocoon left it does need to get cleaned out and polished before Mm -hmm. the queen will lay another egg so that's job number one and then they do a whole lot of increasingly serious indoor jobs that that, i don't not to say that cleaning isn't serious but um they require deeper physiology to accomplish them and then as they're aging their hormone levels are changing their gene expression is changing they become increasingly attracted to light and less attracted to dark and they start moving towards the hive entrance and at the hive entrance entrance they'll do intermediary jobs like receiving food and taking it back into the hive or guarding the entrance and then the last thing they do is they forage and they forage last because it's a very dangerous and demanding job Hmm. and it will basically kill them if if a predator doesn't kill them they'll run out of energy trying to do it so that's the bee life it kind of moves from inside to outside and they're working super hard the whole time like the game Hmm. says they'll only if they're only knowing summer it means that they're trying to bank all the resources that are available during that summer time i'm excited so it sounds like bee lives are about work yeah Uh, well for the workers, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, okay. so named appropriately. Okay. <laughs> yeah. okay. uh, chores, jobs, that's some of the things I was hearing there. So that's interesting because this is a worker placement game. So that is, probably makes sense as to why the designer chose to express be lives. It's a worker um, placement game? Yeah, it's a worker placement game. So we should talk about what that means a little bit. Yeah. It means that each player is going to have a set number of meeples. They could be people, which is often the case, so actual human laborers, which uh-huh. is interesting. Meeples, um, meeples <laughs> is a generic term for little wooden painted pieces and board games. That represent people or things? Or units like or yeah. animals? Usually active units, like actors, like a person or an animal or something like Usually. that. Like this is a resource. I don't know. I wouldn't call this a meeple, right? It's mm. a cube. Mm. Like um, the Varomites of Meeple? Yeah. yeah. But, but bees are called beeples. That's right. And so so we're, we're so it's a play on words. Because they're bees. <laughs> yeah, because they're bees. They're, they're shaped Did like the bees. game person call them beeples? Yeah, yeah it's sure, on the back I'm of the sure, box. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but so in worker placement games, you have a set number of workers that are sort of yours, and you usually change that number depending on things you do to like recruit more or whatever. Okay. And you assign them to different places either in a shared space that you're competing with access, competing with other players for access to or in your own spaces like in this game where you're just making decisions to manage your your like plan you Over know here. and so you're going to assign a people to actions in order to take them so you have to place workers it's a worker placement so you like mm. place a worker on build wax and gotcha. then you get to build wax that turn when right? you run out of workers or right. peoples you're out of you're out of actions, actions. if on the whole board or yeah, we'll, we'll talk about sort of the cycle of the life cycle of these um 
worker bees. Okay. As we get to the to the rules, but that's that's, that's the, the general general idea, idea of behind worker placement. Is okay. Limited resources. It's actually more common often. Well, maybe not more common. It's probably about half and half. But I've played more commonly worker placement games where the point is that you're competing for access to an action. Hmm. Uh, so, so it's about people like I'm going to put my bee on the honey pot because I need some honey, and then okay. Jordan can't put his bee there because mine's there first. Gotcha. That kind of a thing. But th in this game, we're managing. Everybody has access to the same. Act, actions, it's just about managing your population. And, hmm. and this is probably why you can play it on your own, right? I saw yeah. that in the... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um... Okay. Yeah, so what are your... Now Now that you're... what, Without knowing anything, well, you know a little bit about the rules because you read a little bit about uh -huh. them from the rule book. Yeah. What are you most excited about in this game? What are you... Uh, hoping will be learned as we as we play this game? I'm excited to see because I feel like I'm at a disadvantage. I know we're not playing to win here. We're just mm -hmm. playing to explore. But I do feel like I'm going to lose because I don't know how to play games. I, I feel that, that there must be some inherent strategy, especially if you know, like even the terms you're using, you must know there's a way to kind of get ahead in that kind of game. And I do not know. So I'm excited to see if me just knowing about bees and mm -hmm. banking on what I think is important for bees is actually yeah. helpful I'm here. excited to know that too because <laughs> yep. I don't know anything about bees. Uh -huh. And so I did play this game yesterday and I know a little bit about how its various actions sit together as a system. Hmm. And it'd be interesting to find out if that makes any sense mm -hmm. given how bee systems actually work. Uh -huh. um, what about, is there anything, you're ha you have any like hesitations about this game? Even before you cracked open the rule book last night or just knowing that it was a game about bees, what was your immediate like, uh... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess I worried about whether or not it would be completely unrealistic or, you know, just the mix of realism versus mm -hmm. what's good for a game. Like, for instance, the Ants movie, I think, with Jerry Seinfeld, you yeah. know, mm -hmm. talked about how... Classic. Yeah, yeah it's, it was a little <laughs> bit maddening to watch that <laughs> in many ways. But, of course, they were trying to make it be an interesting movie sure. for a variety right. of people. So right. I, I'm right. interested in the mix Right, because it's got to be fun. It's a game. Yeah. It's just, well, it's, it Which, doesn't have to be. It, we have, we well, have, that's an open question, yeah. yeah. Huh. Uh, Games most... don't have to be fun. <laughs> Why would you play it? <laughs> well, that's a good question. Yeah. We can maybe ask that question I think, as we play. <laughs> for the most part, people want their games to be fun. Yeah. I think that's a fair I assertion. Think. Right? And I think, I think one of the goals of this one was to have and it, you know, some fun while you're playing your game. Yeah, yeah I think so. So we, we can, I think, reveal that we demoed this, just yeah. the two of us yesterday, yeah. mm -hmm. and I did some things. Yeah. Some choices. And that was a mess. Yeah. You the mean your hive trying hive to was a mess in really disarray. fast? Yeah. Yeah. Disarray. Yeah. So we'll talk about swarming. Uh, there's a mechanic <laughs> in this game where we, you can, as a hive swarm, and I did that a lot, and I got a lot of points, but then as a result, my hive was very weak it'd be very weak yeah. you wouldn't have the workforce to do yeah, stuff. So that's, yeah. so that's good that that's that, that <laughs> happened that was yeah. very realistic that's what you'd expect <laughs> I, by the end of the game i had one bee and one uh, cell of honey and then you lost the honey because there was the some honey. penalty and you couldn't feed the one bee yeah, and it died and everybody uh, died yeah, it was very my hive was empty there's a phrase yeah. that goes along with swarming and timing of swarming it it's something like a swarm in may is worth a bale of hay a swarm in june is worth a silver spoon a swarm in july isn't worth a fly so it's like all about timing and lets you kind of 
no sometimes it's it's good but you could have done better if you waited and then if you wait too long it's you're not gonna survive that's it was bad yeah. <laughs> okay so the swarms uh yield a better benefit depending on when you do it and it's diminishing yes. returns along the lines of this too soon though is also not good so it's not like do it as soon as you can it's like get strong now do it and do it uh, when you hit uh, your highest uh, strength interesting what's your, what's your like autobiography of play <laughs> in 20 seconds no 20 seconds two minutes, yeah you know whatever. my family played tons of card games like uh, gin, rummy, euchre, hearts, oh. solitaire. We would go, you know, away to camp on the lake and or camping in the campground. Everybody played cards all the time. We weren't allowed to have videos, video games in our mm-hmm. house. Mm-hmm. This, but, is, this is in Canada, right? Yeah. Did you play Crocodile? Yeah, we had one in our house. <laughs> it was constantly there and we were always playing I love it. it. Yeah. And um, let's see. No, no video console things, but my parents didn't realize that Game Boys were games. <laughs> like, they, they didn't make that connection. They weren't hip to that. So my sister got one, and we used to play Super Mario Brothers all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of it. I wasn't in sports. I'm tall, and everyone thought I'd be great at basketball, but I was I t- mm. totally not. Me too. I, it's like, hey, you or volleyball, yeah. right? Did we ever try to get you to play on the volleyball team? Mm, I did play volleyball. Get up at that net. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm more like you? summer, you know, badminton. I like badminton. Mm. Swimming, but mm. for fun. It's all just fun. Mm. I get kind of stressed out by actual competition because mm. I really like to win. And mm. oh, I feel okay. like cards are, you, when you're practiced, you can know the good strategies, but it's so much is just chance that you can't blame yourself for losing. I really try and avoid board games, honestly. <laughs> Thank you for sitting down with us today. <laughs> I find them really stressful. No offense to anybody no, who likes that board is a, games. I think that's a pretty common a um, response, know, yeah. especially yeah. to like this type of board game. Yeah. I mean, just it being on the table, right? It has a kind of a stressful table presence. Totally. Yeah. But I also like the little parts. Like the kid in me does like, I always like that about Monopoly, but I really hated playing Monopoly. Mm. I think the me last um, the last game I played that was like, you have to learn the rules and you have to play the game was a card game I played called Skull, no, Skull King. Oh. It's, mm. a, it's, it's, it's a lot like... Um, it's a lot. It's got elements of hearts and euchre, but the cards have personalities. And that sounds fun. Played it with my nieces and nephews Cute. and some friends in the neighborhood, and it's it is pretty fun. Yeah, cool, interesting. All right, well, we'll hopefully have some fun with this one today. Okay, so now it's time for the two-minute teach, where we explain the game briefly, go over the rule set, talk about some important features or aspects of the game before we sit down to play it. In Bee Lives, players take on the role of queen bees, hatching and feeding new offspring, building wax to create more space, and of course, cleaning up after themselves. As they scout out their surroundings, forage for resources, players must balance these internal demands with the randomized appearance of external pressures, such as changing weather conditions and competition from other hives, in a race to dominate limited resources within a changing environment. Beelives takes place over the course of a single year, represented by a shuffled deck of season cards. Each season is comprised of three months, and each month presents thematic conditions such as an abundant flow of pollen in the spring or the threat of overheating in the summer. The final three months of winter present harsh conditions that can devastate bee populations unless the hive has been well-stocked with provisions throughout the year by a strategic queen bee. During each month, gameplay takes place over a series of phases, Players must first determine how many new brood, that is baby bees, will appear in their hives and allocate resources to feed their current worker bee population. The older bees and younger bees require different types of food. 
honey and pollen respectively, and if there is not enough of either type, existing bees will die and or new bees will not be hatched. If there are ever too many bees in the hive, or the hive's food storage, its honeycomb, is completely full, then the hive will split in half and swarm, an action that requires careful thought from the player about the future of her colony. Play continues with players taking actions in turn based on the number of bees in their hive, and the range of actions available to players includes things like gathering food and water, exploring new areas of the map, mitigating the spread of disease within their hive, building more wax to increase their colony's population capacity, and even mounting or defending against raids, where players or nearby wild hives attack one another. Once all players have exhausted their bees, the round is completed and the board is cleaned up in preparation for the next month. In the end, the queen that makes the most of these challenges and these opportunities will score the most victory points by ensuring that her hive survives the ravages of winter in the best condition. So we also want to explain a few of our favorite features that will make the conversation we had with Heather a little bit more meaningful for you listeners. At the beginning of the game, each player chooses a queen tile that grants their hive some unique ability such as being slightly more effective when taking actions to clean their hive, producing more prolific offspring during the brood phase, or being better equipped to battle with neighboring hives during raids. Up to two players may have the same kind of queen tile, and there are opportunities to swap this tile throughout the game. However, each time this occurs, the hive will not create new brood, those adorable little baby beeples, as they call them, in a succeeding round. Throughout the game, various conditions may cause a player's hive to, quote, swarm. When a hive is forced to swarm, the controlling player must make a series of important decisions about the resulting actions. No matter what, a new wild hive will form. This new hive will create serious competition on the shared map and will be controlled by an automated system that determines how it will behave on future turns, eating up valuable resources on the map and raiding nearby player hives. The player whose hive is swarming will need to decide where to place this new hive and thus establish the location for this new competition. The swarming player must also choose whether or not to replace their queen bee tile, potentially shifting their strategy for the next few turns. Finally, the game awards these players victory points for swarming. These points will diminish in value as the year progresses, scoring at a higher rate in spring and significantly lower in the fall. These diminishing returns incentivize players to take actions that will cause swarming earlier in the game while avoiding doing so in later rounds. Finally, one of our favorite mechanics in this game involves the way that the map is generated as players move through seasons. During the spring months, players add tiles to an individual map in front of them, leaving them free to explore and expand an external world for hives of their own. At the conclusion of spring, before the onset of the first summer month, These individual maps are then joined together, creating a shared world, allowing players to explore and interact with tiles previously unavailable to them. This emergent situation creates a new set of external pressures as hives compete for resources, respond to swarms, and fend off raids from wild hives. There's a lot of parts. Yes, we're almost almost ready to start. That's the first player marker. You're the queen bee. Oh, yeah. I do not want that one. I'll go last. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I need these things to make more bees. Yeah. Okay. 
I'm gonna just take him. I have no idea what I'm Go doing. And You're filling it up yourself. I'm gonna act That's like good. a greedy little bee who, I mean, they they really are in love with honey, so I will take. So the little mini maps that we've all built in front of us mm -hmm. are going to merge into one map. Oh, cool. So now we're gonna like, become a neighborhood, a okay. loving little neighborhood. And threshold is six, so. So I'm in trouble. You're gonna swarm? No, you're gonna swarm. You're gonna swarm. Now what? I don't. A, a dirty, wild hive right into our now shared <laughs> territory. Mm. It's going as close to YouTube as possible. Yeah, that's what you're gonna do. So we have wrapped the game and Heather has come out victorious. Mm -hmm. And this may be, we'll, we'll see. This is right, our first episode of recording. And we'll see if this becomes a trend. I'm kind of glad it worked out this way. Yeah, the guests should win. The guests should definitely win. Well, don't tell me that that's how it's going to work out, because then I don't think I... I think I earned it. I, yeah, I Through too. your support, because you I guys do the rules. Well, you certainly know a lot more about managing a beehive than I do, so I'm not surprised. Well, I think it is a lot of luck, because I've really had... It, it's a lot to take in all at once, and so I'm glad I I'm glad I made it that far. And really, we did tie. It was just a tiebreaker. Yeah. So the tiebreaker in the rulebook is whoever has the most pollen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's I had zero. Heather had four. Right. There's a distinction between honey and pollen. Honey got us through the winter. I'm guessing, based on my limited knowledge of bees through playing this game and looking at them in my life, is um, that pollen will help you come out of winter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you want to talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. So the pollen is usually in the in the colony, just stored underneath some of the honey, and then once they've excavated it through eating all the honey that they need to keep warm for the winter, the pollen is the key thing for the new brood rearing that starts in the spring, and it's that brood rearing that gets them going again. Just like at the beginning when we were all trying to get numbers going, it's that pollen that's really critical in the spring to building up your populations again and moving towards swarming. Mm. So like the game, that's how you're scoring points. And in a normal spring, you would pollen would be very important. Mm. Cool. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Your, your hive's going to get a kickstart in the spring. Mm. If there, there's a multi-year <laughs> multi, multi -year mode here where you can like go yeah. play oh. multiple years, which row. would take probably all day. But, um, you know, it you would probably... Still kick butt. Mm. Um, I could rear a lot of bees right away. Yeah, you're mm -hmm. you're like mm -hmm. ready to mm -hmm. ready to roll. Mm -hmm. yeah. Your bees are gonna make a comeback. Mine, you my hive is completely foraging. empty. I actually cannot win because I have zero bees. Oh, so an empty hive. An I empty died. hive can't. My, yeah, I would need a new starter. Mm -hmm. Right, I would need mm -hmm. a new queen. Um, I'd have to go down to my local farm store. <laughs> I think we got a good exposure to the the annual cycle of a colony and the different stressors on colonies as they go through the year. Um, in colonies that have beekeepers, what the beekeepers need to be thinking about is as you go through, like some, like you said, sometimes it's good to have a lot of bees. Sometimes it means you swarm, and what does that mean for your size? Um, at mm. certain points, different kinds of food is important. As the year goes on, we get a lot more complicated I guess you call these the tile map. I don't know what that word yeah. is, but it's just the the map is composed of tiles that would be placed. So yeah, it's, but, so that yeah. gets more complicated, and you have to think about the interactions that are going on amongst hives or players. So I think we get a, a good taste of what an actual colony is grappling with as it moves through the year. And and most colonies don't live like that. Jordan's experience is pretty typical. Most mm. colonies 
uh, if they don't have a beekeeper caring for them, the success rate for swarming in this kind of environment, like we're in a winter summer kind of climate, is about one in four. You know, only 25% of colonies make it through a year. So mm. there's a lot of problems, <laughs> a lot of challenges. Well, in my experience wow. playing this game, it is 0% of col- <laughs> my colonies make yeah. it through the year. So I've played yeah. it twice, and both times my um, my bees did not make it through. Heather, skin of your bee teeth. Yeah, mm-hmm. I had one, mm-hmm. one bee one left. One bee left. But lots of food, so I can get more bees in next spring. The, fi- is- the last swarm that I did wasn't as much of a disaster as I thought it was going to be. Mm. Because I was so prolific that, in fact, when half left, I still had five. <laughs> so I was taking five actions. Mm. In the final t- I was thinking, oh, man, they're all going to leave. I'm going to lose all my honey. But, in fact, like it made a problem for, for the competitors because there was a pretty strong hive out there mm-hmm. with five bees in it. Mm-hmm. And I still had five actions. Mm-hmm. So that that was interesting to me. It surprised me. I thought I was going to be in a way worse position than this yeah. when I realized I was going to swarm again. I thought, oh, mm-hmm. God, here we go. What is missing? What is missing from this game? Yeah, what mm-hmm. would be? What are the stressors that we that you might add? If you were going to cre- you know, sort of revise this game or make a different a version of it or something like mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. are there stressors that you might want to add to be a little more exact? of a description of a bee's year? Yeah, well, I think it's pretty complicated. So right now, if we think about what we identify as the stressors that beekeepers need to think about for managing their hives, it's pests and pathogens. So we have the varomite that's taking care of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Poor nutrition, which is something we're thinking about. Like, Mm -hmm. can we get access to food? How much food is available? How far do we have to go to get it? Types of food. Yeah. Don't give it beer. (laughs) (laughs) The other, of the three Ps, as we say, the other P that's missing are pesticides. Ah. So that is the other real stressor that Mm. most colonies Mm. in the real world are dealing with is like the action of other agriculturists in the area and Mm -hmm. pesticide kills being a big thing and like just a sudden like, surprise like wild card wipeout you know what i mean i would say that's kind of missing but it's also a bit of a downer from a game perspective so maybe that doesn't Mm. work from from beekeeping it can literally wipe you off the map so maybe that's not good for games because nobody wants to just face the threat throughout the game of just having to give up for a random reason it feels like can I ask you a brief follow-up to that question? Yeah. So one of the things you mentioned in the beginning of the game when we were setting it up and you were telling us a little bit about your research was that a part of why people work with bees in in your field mm-hmm. is because humans and bees are like historically kind of integrated in a very deep way. Like for millennia, we've been keeping bees yeah. and using them so they're very amenable to like just having it in your backyard, etc. Mm-hmm. And you even mentioned that, in fact, in the United States or in North America, there are not really wild bees in the same way there are in other parts of the world not wild honeybees honeybees okay. yeah but there are definitely other kinds of wild bees like bumblebees are a great example right of a, they just don't come in as huge a numbers or not as easily moved around by humans and so right. it's harder to get instant high numbers of bees in a given agricultural space um if you're not taking care of the native population and you don't have the option of bringing in these managed honeybees. Hmm. So it seems like maybe one thing that's missing from the game is the like human bee nexus mm. that is a central aspect of specifically yeah. honeybees yeah. in North America. Yeah, humans really are, you know, they hold the bees, honeybees hand on one side and they like kill them on the other mm-hmm. side because our activities, there's a group of humans trying really hard to 
maintain high honeybee populations and then hmm. the activities of other humans even other people making food can really impact the health of the environment for the bees to function in. and not just for honeybees for also our native bees too so i think overall that is a kind of wild card element that we don't see in this game but I think from a, a natural, if you extract the human element, mm -hmm. the things that we see on this board are really the 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 natural things that ex I think humans are part of nature. But excluding humans, sure, sure. we yeah. all those stressors are here. So mm -hmm. what about a like you know? There's not another species of animal really on this, right? Would I don't there, think so. Yeah, just yeah. plant life. Yeah, would there be? Like bears, bear yeah, attacks. Bears would come in. Oh yeah, well we have the paw here, and we have the spider web, That's which sort of the, which sort of references. hint at. Yeah, yeah. I think the paw is the better one because bears are big; they can knock over an entire colony. They can do a lot of damage in. You know, they might go to an, an apiary with 20 uh, hives and yeah, knock yeah. over two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what? You know, that's kind of fun, interesting though. Like maybe just as a game and in our like little game world. This is just sort of like utopian bee land, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Where there's no, some of those de really depressing mm -hmm. stories <laughs> um, mm -hmm. about the way we're just drenching our food crops or whatever yeah. and things that are very harmful to bees but maybe don't really do as much to us. Yeah. Um, they're not present here. Yeah. And they're just, it's sort of like, an alternative universe. Yeah. Well, this is a natural. This is a natural setting for bees in Europe, right? As soon as you bring them to North America, you're dealing with an artificial situation because they were never here in the first place. Mm. They're the quote-unquote preferred pollinator because they're easily managed in large numbers. But that only matches our really crazy monoculture crop system that we uh, have. You uh, know. Yeah. Like in a less industrialized, less modernized agricultural landscape, you would think the native bees would be pollinating the native crops that people were, would grow if they didn't have the option of importing outside bees and outside crops. So yeah. yeah, we're dealing with a completely artificial landscape in terms of producing food in most industrialized Western mm, countries. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so what about the, um, the way you felt? <laughs> as we played does, yeah. does can you draw any connections there between yeah your feeling the decisions you had to make there were a couple of times where, where, where we're like okay so here you're like what do i do here and mm -hmm. i'm like well that's a decision you have to make yeah there's a lot to do and i feel like that reflects the actual life of a life. Mm, mm -hmm, <laughs> you do, we, you know, we, we talk all the time about how you have a limited workforce, you have to allocate labor, it's called division of labor. And so you can't get everything done at once. A lot of times people think of bees as being somewhat robotic, like if they're alive, yeah. they're, they're thriving, which is not the case. They have limited resources and abilities and at any one moment the demands on them are multiple. And so I did get that sense playing that there were lots of things I could do and I had limited resources and I had to think of the trade-offs of doing one thing or another. And that's something we talk about all the time, resource allocation and trade-offs. And mm. I think the game really reflects that. Mm. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. One of the other things that make this, makes this game a little overwhelming mm. um, is that it does combine a lot of those mechanical features. Not, it's not just a worker placement game. Many worker placement games will just have a static board which has X number of spaces that never change, that are arranged in a particular way, and everyone has access to them from the start, and it's mm -hmm. always a battle to get access to the actions. Mm -hmm. This combined that with tile laying placement that then was in isolation and then combined. So 
I think what he, you know, who knows what he's trying to do. I don't want to put words in the designer's mouth or head. Mm-hmm. But it seems like an effort to kind of model, you know, environments in a way that is not mm-hmm. as reductive as, like, you know, a set board would mm-hmm. be with, like, two pawns mm-hmm. and three, you know. There's a kind of organized chaos that happens yeah. with the map that leads to this, like, exchange of conflict, cooperation yeah. within your own hive all these different it's, it's an interesting game it's a lot to take on as a player though uh, and, I, and I appreciate that you're bringing that up Heather as as a sort of maybe a simulation of what a, it's like to be one of these types of bees mm. right because a lot of games and you know they're on one end of the spectrum you have games like this where there's so much to do and on your turn you're never going to have enough resources to do it all mm-hmm. you have to pick and choose you have to prioritize and things like that on the other end of the spectrum you have games where there's like well what do you want to do you can go in any direction you can do as much as you want of any of that stuff mm-hmm. and that that pressure of that like I don't have enough time mm-hmm. or I don't have enough means to do all the things I want to do mm-hmm. is not there and so that, that you have to kind of work as a designer to to create that pressure, to create that limitation. And so if, you know, you were going to choose one style of gameplay or one style of feeling for a game about bees, it makes sense that it would be one where mm-hmm. you're saying that it makes sense that it would be mm-hmm. one that's about limited resources. I do think what would be cool, like we talked about how that there's not that negative human wild card of a wrench getting thrown in the game by bad human action. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that would be really cool is a positive wild card, which really does happen in the life of bees, is all of a sudden there's like a bonanza mm-hmm. resource available. Mm-hmm. And that's really how bees do make their living in temperate environments like we are in Boston, where um, lots mm-hmm. of the year there's no food, parts of the year there's some food everywhere, but there's going to be periods of time where there's just a ton of something, like the flow that came up. Yeah, but like hard. Mm-hmm. That flow is usually a huge competition between the colonies, and it's like who discovers it first because mm. they get to use it. Mm-hmm. So if somehow you could take your map and just throw a tile in a random spot, and it and you could see which who could like get there first, like a treasure that, trove. That tile. would be pretty cool. Yeah, and it's a race to loot the and tile. And that really is what yeah. the bees are, have to deal with. Yeah, that flow was was fun because we we. Um, we had this little moment where we're like, well, we're all going to have plenty of food. So that's mm-hmm. that's the one thing we don't have to worry about this round. Mm-hmm. Let's just do that one action, get all the food that we need. Right? It was a random card. We weren't going to predict that it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, maybe what does that track with? Like maybe a sudden rainstorm happened and caused like every flower in the block to bloom all or at once. Or it was just the time for this particular flower. Like when dandelion blooms, it's like, whoa, mm-hmm. there's tons of food oh, all yeah. of a sudden. Let's go. we got three days, five days. This yeah. is a huge flow, and whoever gets to that flower first is going to get the food. And it could be, as you, you were saying, right, it could be the result of human action. So it's like a human nature intervention. If somebody plants because they decide they want to have a bunch of these or flowers, crop, right. right, or a crop or whatever, yeah. then that's why that happened, because yeah. somebody went out there and planted a bunch yeah. of it. And so then when it all blooms, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, look, exactly. cow, look at all these flowers that are and, right here. And that's why people like honeybees for agriculture, because the bees are one of the, you know, few animals that recruit. So... And, and that's something that we don't see in the Forge. I guess we have the mm. scouting mm. where you can create. I guess that does create the new resources. And you do get yeah. to decide where to put it. Mm-hmm. But one of from a, from a honeybee perspective, one of the advantages of being a honeybee over a bumblebee is that you come home, you waggle dance, and you get all your sisters out there ASAP so that the bumblebees don't even stand a chance. You know, you found it and you get everyone there before the neighboring hives, before the neighboring other types of bees. 
you dominate the resource. That's really what the honeybees are great at. I also think it's interesting that if I hadn't played it with you, none of my preconceived notions about swarms would have been hmm. um, challenged. Challenged. Yeah. Yeah. The word swarm just true. has such a like popular connotation of like being a violent thing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I just, and in the game because it's so disruptive, yeah. it seemed like it was bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the the scariest monsters in, a, in this very popular game called Starcraft. Yeah. Video game. It's called the Swarm. Yeah. Oh really? Right. Yeah. So well, from a beekeeper's yeah. perspective, beekeepers don't like swarms because from their perspective, they're losing the capital they've built in the hive. But mm. from the honeybee's perspective, swarming is the best. It's how they get more of their genes out there in the environment. Mm. So bees really want to swarm. It is really hard to stop Mm. bees from swarming. And probably the number one thing that bees and beekeepers are in conflict over is whether or not bees should swarm. Beekeepers are constantly trying to shut that down. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like how dogs want to like run out in the middle of the road. (laughs) We should probably stop them from doing it. It's interesting. It's interesting. I kind of feel like on the back of these player boards that we've been using, that we've been talking about this whole time with the hives, have illustrations of bee boxes on them. So it almost feels like we ought to just be playing as beekeepers Hmm. (laughs) since swarming is disruptive and potentially damaging, Hmm. but the queens do want to do it and they go and Hmm. do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and because the queens don't actually dictate decision making, but if we're a beekeeper, we would be like intervening in the bee box to try and like encourage certain behaviors Mm -hmm. and right. So Yeah, in this case it's the it's definitely the the workers that are that are like, Nope. Not enough room in here anymore. Yeah. Getting the heck out. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And the queen um, just goes with them. She doesn't yeah. even know where they're going. Most of the workers don't know where they're going. There's just a handful of workers who have been house hunting and figuring out where they should go next. And yeah. they have to lead the whole swarm through these phases to make it to mm-hmm. to that. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting that yeah, yeah, it does sort of model beekeeping in the gameplay mm-hmm. at a some level too. Yet that mm-hmm. yet that's not like that's not in, like explicit. Because any beekeeper could manage these resources. Mm -hmm. Um, For instance, a beekeeper, if they're worried that their colony doesn't have enough pollen, they will feed them a pollen substitute. If they're worried that they don't have enough nectar to keep warm, it's not so much in the summer, but to keep warm in, in the winter, they will feed them sugar syrup. And I personally have done research in yards where the bees we've heard complaints from neighbors because the bees are looking for water in their pools and they Mm. don't want bees in their pool so we will set up a little baby pool in the apiary so that the bees have a place to forage for water so beekeepers can definitely manage the availability of all of these resources and try all the things that we were controlling like the cap on Mm -hmm. the colony size and Mm. the availability of workers for foraging beekeepers will manage the food to try and allow the bees to do the other things that are optimal yeah. on the board. Yeah, so this game has hmm. that, maybe that lens. Yeah. What a queen does through the lens of a beekeeper. <laughs> yeah, right. So Heather's bio also has this term waggle dance, and I've seen bees waggling around, and I'm wondering if that's it. So what is the waggle dance? The waggle dance is the the body movement that, it describes the body movement that the bees do, and in the motions that they make, they indicate the distance to a food resource that they've discovered and the direction that other bees should fly in relation to the sun to get to that food source. So you basically Whoa. know which air, which direction to head off in when you leave the hive in reference to the sun and how far you should fly. And so the waggle dance refers to the waggling that the bee does as she's moving around, but she's doing lots of other things too. She's 
making vibrations that transmit through the comb and the bees can feel the waggle dance even if they aren't touching the waggler. Mm. Uh, she emits pheromones while she's waggling so the bees hone in on dancing specific smells mm. and she'll also stop and hand out food when she's dancing so that the bees who are following that dance can be so like cool. that tastes really good and they can go visit an, another waggle dance and be like Free i samples. like this food over Whoa. here yeah it's really it's highly complex we call it multimodal because there's like touch smell taste there's tons of different senses that the bees use to sense the information about the experience that this bee had out in the environment that she's trying to convey to her nestmates in a really abstract dance. Wow, it's amazing. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And thanks I, for learned, teaching me. I learned a lot about bees, <laughs> so I'm feeling great. About I that. learned a lot about games. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Yeah, there we go. So we're maybe going to call this Tabletop Takeaways, and it's going to be comprised of three sub-segments, mm -hmm. and we'll get to those as we arrive at them. Yeah. But this is more so the time for us to reflect on our experience playing with our guest, in this case, Heather Matala, and um, the game that we played with mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, the guest. Yeah, we're going to talk about... The game is a game. We're going to talk about bees and what we learned about them. And we're going to talk about how the game um, provided a space for us to learn yeah. those things. And also maybe unlearn them. Yeah. How Ooh. it... Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> Unlearning in, in service of learning. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a time of reflection. It's a time for us to try to reconcile, bring together our goals. Yes. For the action activity of playing the game with a person who knows something about the subject that that <clears throat> game is supposed to be representing in some way. Yeah. So let's begin. Okay. First segment. Meaningful moments. Getting meaning through the act of playing. Yeah. We're looking for those moments in a game, right? In the gameplay experience that we all have when we're playing a game. Those moments when the game design or the experience or the theme or some aspect of the game just pops and pops it becomes a meaningful moment now, process in the context of bee lives so what is your meaningful moment we but we have lots of them yeah but well, who what is go? what is the one that stands out to do, each of us do you want me to go first yeah, yeah go go first. okay so i i was thinking about this for a while and i was trying to come up with other ones because there were several but one really stuck out in my mind. And so I, I suspect that this was also meaningful for you because it is something we talked about while we were playing with Heather. And that's the moment after spring ends, when summer begins, and the individual player tile-laid maps merge together. When worlds collide, I'm calling this meaningful moment, right? When worlds collide mm -hmm. and they merge mm -hmm. into one shared environment or ecosystem in which you are now not just working against, I have to find new resources, I have to manage my hive, you have to do all of those things, face all of those internal pressures within an, uh, an ecosystem where there are other hives competing with you mm -hmm. for access mm -hmm. uh, or potentially raiding you, which was also not a threat uh, before that happened, which actually I think never happened in our game. 
uh, or the other time that we played. Yeah. I don't think we had a player-to-player raid ever no. occur, but it is built into the game as a yeah. possibility. It just felt kind of mean. Yeah. Uh, when there's so many other things you could be doing. Yeah. I mean, I guess if we were feeling a little more competitive, it would have been. But yeah, I see your point, and it and it's it. I, I think it's a lovely mechanic. It's not the meaningful moment I chose to to share in this segment, but it is. It was very meaningful for me as well. And I think, you know, this idea of easing your players into yeah. it in this sort of very, you know, be, by forcing them to, to mm-hmm. stick to their own little squares. Yeah. And then when you physically slide your little squares across the table into somebody else's Mm -hmm. and you go oh you know they they have been there this whole time and i've just not had access to them right and and that our our worlds come together our worlds collide as you say Mm -hmm. and uh we get this this new area to share together Mm -hmm. totally changes the mechanics of Mm -hmm. of exploration mm-hmm. it totally changes the, the my thought process around what should i be doing and with my turn because now i have this threat of other people mm-hmm. screwing it up or taking my resources you also might have new opportunities so mm-hmm. for instance it happens at the onset of summer summer is the most common season in which the overheating occurs and heather did not have any water tiles in her little mini environment but you and i both did and as soon as we merged, there were now two water tiles that she had access mm-hmm. to that she didn't before. So it could be opportunities. It could be new challenges. One of the things I really like about it, not just in the mechanical way, like what you're pointing to, I think is really cool in terms of helping players find their way into mm-hmm. the system that haven't in the hive and like dealing with all of those demands in a like consequence for your sort of like low risk, low stakes setting where they're just choosing tiles that they want. Right. Uh, but then their their decisions, those choices, have an impact on the ecosystem that all the other players live in. So it captures really kind of beautifully the, you know, that like dialectical relationship between organism and environment. So we shape our little space, right. which then influences the space that everyone else lives in. Yeah, I, I kind of liked the just the imagining. I do this I do this with a lot of games. Um, I'll look at the map and I'll ask myself, and sometimes people I'm playing with, where would you like to live on this map? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and and so you kind of imagine yourself exploring the map, and I thought that was really nice in this moment too. It, it sort of just now became instead of me um, by myself in my own little garden in this larger meadow, and there's other ecosystems going on here. And I started to think a little more critically about the relationship between one mm-hmm. little community of bees and another. And it changes your frame of reference for the decisions you made. Mm-hmm. So you were making decisions based on what you needed, and then those now play yeah. into everyone yeah. else's world, and their decisions play into yours. It is an interesting moment where the game shifts from being kind of a solitaire experience to a much more interactive mm, yeah. experience. Yeah, and it's, yeah, for sure. And it's sort of it's pretty solitary all around the, the game, mm-hmm. just because the player board player boards always make it feel a little bit like that. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. Um, so... Mine kind of relates in a, in a way. Uh, mine was the swarm mechanic, mm, and it mm-hmm, wasn't mm-hmm. really my meaningful moment. Is a little bit tied up into a, a moment of your realization, mm-hmm. right? We so the swarm mechanic is a little, as we say, fiddly. Like it's a little hard to. It's not the most intuitive it, it, sort of rule set around yeah. the, around this mechanic, uh, and so basically, right, you're there are conditions in this game in which your hive gets too crowded or you don't have enough room or mm-hmm. to store things mm-hmm. and you're forced to swarm and therefore 
split your hive in half, both in terms of the bees and also the resources in your hive. Mm-hmm. And you, and the idea is that when you do that, you also create a, another hive on the map near you. And that, that the, the splitting that you just did, half of those bees are going to live in that hive. Yeah. And then and yeah, you ahead. have to kind of decide whether or not you want to become, you know, start controlling that new one that appears or you wanted to stay in the one that you you kept. Either way, you're going to have this uh, non-player hive, this this hive that's being automatically controlled by mm-hmm, the game mm-hmm, mm-hmm. near yours. Right. And right. this is a we we talk of course about, with Heather extensively about swarming and what that means and mm-hmm, what you know what's mm-hmm. going on there, but. I loved it when you were initially kind of struggling to understand this concept and then you said it dawned on you like, mm-hmm. oh, this means these bees are going to live somewhere else. Yeah. And it, and it yeah. made sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't want to say too much about that right in this moment because stay tuned for unexpected expertise. Oh, okay. but, um, but yes, that was a, a, a really meaningful moment. And I think that there was some... Co- What's interesting about it is that I think I had some cognitive blocks about bees... Mm. that were hindering my ability mm-hmm. to grapple with the game just mm-hmm. as a mechanical system. Because it is a little fiddly, but actually compared to raiding, oh, no, swarming no. is not fiddly at all. Yeah. But raiding wasn't as hard for me to remember how it worked because I understood why it worked the way it worked, even mm. though it was like, okay, right, I have to remember to roll the die. I knew that I was sending a raiding party mm-hmm. to attack a, an, a, a non-me hive, like mm-hmm. an enemy, like a, I guess, hive, mm-hmm. And I was going to steal their honey if I successfully like beat them in yeah. battle, yeah. right? So conceptually and cognitively, I, I had a schema for understanding what was going on there. Yeah. So yeah. even though that system, that cre- you know, that flowchart is way more complex, and it was still fiddly to deal with, I didn't have the same frustration that I had when I was dealing with the swarm because I didn't understand what swarming actually meant. Mm-hmm. I just thought swarming was like the bees are pissed and they're you know they're flying off in a cloud, and you know. As I said, stay tuned for unexpected mm. expertise. Well, then I think I think we should switch to that right okay. now. Yeah. So, next segment is unexpected expertise. One thing that each of us sort of surprised us in yeah. that conversation. What 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 were we not sort of anticipating we would learn? And like, oh, okay, wow, that's, yeah. that's kind of an interesting. These thing things that about. stand out to us is like, oh, I learned a little bit about this subject because I played this game with someone who's an expert or has a deep understanding of it. Yeah, right? so. it doesn't have to be like a big, broad thing. It can be something yeah. kind of subtle and, sure. and neat yeah. too. So, fact, you we're already halfway there. Why don't, you, why don't you? Why uh, don't uh, you? You sure you want yeah. me to go first again? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure? We were, it okay. seems like a segue. My my moment of unexpected expertise um, was the gentle swarm. Okay, so let's go back and hear how that played out. Because at least then we'll get we'll get lots of swarm action, which is one of the parts of this game that was as a game we were like, how does the swarm work? Uh, (laughs) But then also as like a bee behavior, it's like yeah, bees will swarm and and like mess you up, man. Watch out, like the Mm. the lay person, right? No, that's not what that is. The the swarm is like a super gentle time. The bees are the least aggressive during swarm. They beard, right? Interesting. Yeah. Is is, is there a bearding term? Yeah, because they're homeless. When they're swarming, they don't have a home that they're defending, and they just kind of give up all of their... You could take your bare hand and stick it in the middle of a swarm, and they wouldn't do anything. That's really interesting. So I wonder if when we start... Would you recommend that we do that? 
For sure. <laughs> really? It's actually oh, a, it's a quite an amazing feeling. <laughs> oh, okay. When we yeah. start playing the game, it'll be interesting to see. I did not get a sense from the game's swarm mechanic that swarms were at all anything different than my popular misconception of what swarms were. Mm. Yeah, most people think swarming means, oh, they're attacking you. Yeah. They're, they're like killer bees and they're coming to get you. Not yeah. at all. Mm. No. Interesting. No. Is that more of a raid behavior? That would be more like, if bees are doing that, it's a defense. It's that you, like Jordan mowing his lawn, you got mm -hmm. too close, you seemed threatening, and that's when they're defensive, is when you're really close to their home. But bees are not defensive when they're swarming. They've left their home. They're in search of a new one. They don't have anything to defend. They want to stay out of trouble, you know, if you could put it that's that way. That's interesting. Or when bees are at flowers and they're on their own, there's, they just would rather fly away. They're not going to sting you unless you squash them by accident, and then you'd get stung by... by the gentle swarm. So Heather kept talking about how she kept describing it as gentle. Mm -hmm. So, oh, no, no, swarming is gentle. And yeah. she explained to us that the swarm is actually, they're really vulnerable when they swarm. Um, they don't have any defenses. They're sort of out on a limb. And it's something that they do because they need to. And when they do it, it's actually a kind of a peaceful sort of moment of, I'm going out in the world to, to find a new home, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I had a total, totally misconceived notion of what swarming meant, right? Yeah. In my mind, my popular misconceptions of bees was that swarming was like they're just out there like attacking anything in their path, yeah. right? Um, yeah, she said you could put your hand yeah, in a swarm right, of bees right, and right. they won't sting you. And the, the notion of the gentle swarm, once I had that uh, mis the misconception corrected or dis dis you know, dispelled, uh, helped me understand how swarming worked in the game. Because I didn't, I didn't really conceive of it in those terms. And so once I did, it made more sense. Even the fiddliest bit of it, which is like, are you going to go or are you going to stay? Mm -hmm. That made much more sense now, too. Yeah, yeah. Right? so, you know, that's another interesting thing, right? If we can cycle back to that, right? The idea of <clears throat> a swarm mm -hmm. happening in this game and in real life, right? As a result mm -hmm. of sort of mismanaging your hive, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? That's, the, that's how that mechanic works, Yeah. right? If you... Uh, are letting it get too full of certain type of thing without really balancing it out with another type of thing, then they're going to, they're going to do that. They're going to leave. And then as a result, you're going to have this competitor nearby. Yeah. So maybe it had that sort of like bad connotation for you too, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not just in terms of the, the word swarm, but because it felt like if I was mismanaging this hive in some way, then it's going to cause problems for Yeah, me. it seems like a negative consequence, yeah. right? And it also it was disruptive. It was just a disruptive thing mm -hmm. to happen to your mm -hmm. hive. So it felt like it should be avoided. Yeah, and thus, you get points for it. But this, yeah, so I was going to bring this up. This is the other weird thing is it's incentivized, mm -hmm. decreasingly so as the seasons pass. Mm -hmm. But it is incentivized early on. Mm -hmm. And I can't actually remember off the top of my head right now if we asked Heather why we would get points in spring as opposed to later and what she said. Because they're um, more likely to survive. So in spring, uh, you're, <clears throat> you know, you're incentivized to do it because the bees would go out there. They're, if, you know, you're they're, gonna, if you're going to do it, do it Yeah, now. do it early. Yeah, and, right. and in the fall, right, it's very unlikely. She, right. she thought that one point in the fall, which is what you get, was generous. Was very generous. Right. right. She right. felt like it was actually just yeah, like a death just, sentence yeah, to yeah. swarm in the fall. She get negative points in the fall. Yeah, wow. Yeah, right. That, that would be kind of cool. Anyway. Uh, so that was my unexpected expertise, was the, yeah. gen the gentle swarm. Yeah. I liked the... Um, my, the my unexpected expertise was the queen personality stuff queens have personalities would you put go that far to well say when that? you think about animal personalities most people have different ways of defining it but a lot of the time you're looking for an animal to do 
to react the same way repeatedly and across contexts. Mm. So the classic example is always bold versus shy. And really, you're, it's not the queen's traits that matter. It's the genes that she gives to her daughters because it's their behavior that really is the expression. Mm. We would call it the phenotype. It's like what the colony is like. Mm. Um, so mm. the queens create that phenotype, but they are not actively defending or mm. being the hygienic cleaner. Mm. It's their daughters that are the defenders and the cleaners. I actually kind of knew a little bit about swarming because we have a beehive on, on, on yeah. our property, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, you and, guys keep a box. And I've seen a swarm. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and, I, and it's pretty intense, right? They yeah. get really loud. They move very slowly through the air and they get into a tree and they create a beard of bees. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that looks so hostile. Yeah. But I guess I can go ahead and put my face in it and it's not a problem. But yeah. um, uh, so Don't try anyway, to sit home. <laughs> I, I said, is that not, is that, it's not recommended though, right? She's like, no, you should do it. It's fine. If you're allergic to bees, I would not recommend any of this. But um, maybe you can try it you know, sometime if you're not. Anyway. Um, so your matter tabletop is not liable. <laughs> Um, the, the it, queen personality is, is like mechanic in this game where you choose a sort of identity for your yeah, hive. Yeah. You get a little tile, you put it on your board and you, it dig, it gives you sort of a special power. Yeah. Those are sort of like variable player powers. Yeah. Right? It gives and, you, I can yeah. do something that Steve can't, or I can do something or, you know, that special that make, gives me a slight advantage in this one type of way. And it kind of helps me make decisions about what I want to do next mm -hmm. helps me maybe strategize while I'm this type of queen because you can swap it out various mm. times for various reasons but the thing that I found interesting right I said so what's the deal with that Heather right and and she said oh you know that is actually kind of a nice reflection because mm -hmm. right when a queen <clears throat> makes brood in the hive makes baby bees right they um take on her genetic characteristics of course right it's like just like we do in real you know in our human bodies right we have genetic characteristics shared with our ancestors and um that is i didn't really think of it that way like of yeah. course she's the one making mm -hmm. all the babies she's the one providing all that information for future generations uh in just their dna their genetic yeah. code right and and if yeah they're a little more aggressive how does that tie into the dna if they're mm. a little you know more clean in their hive then how does that tie into their dna and, right and uh you know I, i've i guess i've heard a couple times uh, about sort of oh that that batch of bees was like you know i got stung all the time or um that batch of bees was like attacking or heather was talking about they were right. attacking the uh the the black rubber handle on the um uh the the lawnmower right yeah right and so that's yeah. just their genetic disposition which is determined by the queen. yeah what's interesting about bees though right is that that is it's such it's so immediately manifests in behaviors you know with humans it's like there's a lot of you know a lot of competing theories about like how behaviors arise that usually have a lot more to do with like them being modeled and learned but the queen, this was this is my second runner, or my runner-up rather, my second place, uh, unexpected expertise is the queen actually doesn't make any decisions. Mm -hmm. 
that the worker bees are making the decisions, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that they're the ones going around making their own decisions. Yeah. And so the idea of the personality is, is just that like in a bee as an organism, that genetic transfer almost immediately manifests as particular behavioral right. um, like patterns. Yeah, what are their... Which is fascinating. But it's that that maybe is heavily influenced by their yeah. genetic yeah. code, right, right, which yeah. is shared, all shared across the hive because of the queen. Yeah, right. right. And that's, um, that's super interesting to me. It makes me think differently about genetics a little bit right mm-hmm. and, and and you know it, it can be potentially problematic and th- in like maybe excusing behavior mm. oh I'm just just because it's my you know my genetic disposition or whatever right right we we, we don't well, want to extend this all the way up to humans perhaps no. but um you know it makes me think you know about my lessons i don't know back in biology when i was learning about the pea shoots of mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. like and how crossbreeding Punnett squares the, yeah, the, yeah yeah that kind of stuff so i don't yeah. know i thought that was great I didn't think I was going to get that lesson. Is that what they're called? Punnett squares? I don't really know. Mendel? Mendel. A monk? Yeah, and the peas. Yeah. Yeah. But that could be a misnomer. Punnett squares really could be something else. I liking that lesson. I'm not a scientist, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, but that's what came to mind. Yeah. I mean, it is an interesting lesson, in, an interesting tacit lesson in genetic transfer. Um, it also ties into another way, uh, that she, another sort of aspect of her expertise that I thought was fascinating when she was talking about. Well, yeah, we think about bees as social. Part of that definitionally is that it transfers across generations, mm-hmm. right? That those social mm-hmm. behaviors you get repeated beyond just the immediate circumstance of who's alive with us in this community right now. Mm-hmm. That that's a part of like a baseline definition of what it means to be a yeah, social yeah. Uh, organism. Yeah. Um, so that the was one thing that too. wasn't there in the game is this idea of well, maybe it was actually right. Uh, when queen a new queen arrives, right? Mm-hmm. For various mm-hmm. reasons, you might get a new queen in your hive, and the personality of the hive it does take a little while for it to change, mm-hmm. right? Because the game says you can't if you get a new queen, you can't make new brood for for a whole month, right? Right, this whole right? month, and so yeah. I mean, it, your personality in terms of the game does change immediately, but I, I mean, I just think that's kind of an in- another yeah. interesting thing. I wonder how long it takes for a hive to transfer its personality you know based on just like how many bees are cycling out and how they were pretty yeah it's a good question that's a good question um cool stuff yeah so we learned a lot segment subject matter score that's right so subject matter score subject matter score subject matter score subject matter score it's a uh, various rates apply. You know, we're not game re- raiders. Yeah. Here. So we're, we're not, trying. Yeah, we're, we're trying not to a game. think of this as a review. Yeah. We don't. We don't want to tell you whether or not you should buy it. We don't want to tell you whether or not it's a good game objectively, or right, in our right. opinion, subjectively. Yeah. Right. We want to give it a rating, though. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, a fun number mm-hmm, that you mm-hmm. can, as listeners carry with you across episodes and be like oh they rated it that way in that episode Mm -hmm. or they rated it this way in another episode and so we're coming up with our own rating system we are um it is a rating system that will describe how well the subject matter right in this case it's bee lives Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. it's the lives of bees that's the subject matter of this game yeah how thoroughly and how well is it tied into all the other aspects of the game mm-hmm. right not just the way it looks right this is clearly a game that's got bees all over it right and, you know and, and this and not just the way the components look because they, they're bbs they, right they have little ba- bee yep. components little, and all that stuff nursery, right nurse yeah, bees. sure that's tied in there yeah but 
right? When we're playing it and we're getting that meaning out of it, right? Mm -hmm. And all that stuff out of the mechanics and all Mm -hmm. these things. Mm The things that we've been talking about for the last two segments, right? How tied into that? How 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 is the subject matter tied into yeah. all those other? Pieces? So you could think of it as like a rating, which expresses the degree to which the meaningful moments we experienced while playing it as players engaged in the game mm-hmm. translated to or were integrated with in ways that were either pleasing or elegant or illuminating that expertise that that unexpected expertise that we um, gleaned from our guest and our fellow player. Mm-hmm. So to what extent mm-hmm. is this game? So you could say. Um, we were talking about yeah. Monopoly earlier. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and we're, we're thinking about, okay, so this is an example. Everybody knows Monopoly, or at least seen it, right? You know, it's this idea where you're just kind of rolling dice and going around this map and buying properties and selling them whenever and all this kind of stuff, right? The, let's say that the subject matter of that game is, what, like, uh, well, the opportunistic t- profit or Yeah, the title's like a little misleading. Um <clears throat> Because it's really, I think that game is really about landlordism. Sure. It's really about real estate yeah. and landlordism. Yeah. Not We're not going to do an episode about Monopoly anytime. <laughs> but, um, uh, but so you, yeah. the idea is that that game, the theme can change, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. How many different versions of Monopoly have you seen? Right. And I think my household had like five. Right. Right. We had a San Francisco one. We had a Simpsons one. Mm-hmm. We had a Star Wars one. You know, all these like famous things. I think there's probably hundreds right. of different versions of Monopoly, right, right, right. right? And it doesn't really change the game to change the theme right. of the game, right? Well, or yes. The, or the, let's say, the subject matter but of the game. in the spirit of the segment, right, one could also argue that, in fact, Monopoly is a pretty, uh, pretty well-integrated expression of the kind of landlordism and the dynamics of real estate mm. that I was yeah, just because that about. never changes. Insofar as it never changes, and I don't really have a choice. I have to roll the die and yeah. move around the board. I have to sleep somewhere tonight, right? Yeah. I need shelter. And my only options are dictated by who out there happens to own the land mm. that's around me as I'm walking through the world, yeah. and I have to find a way to pay them, yeah. right? Or get in the game myself and end up flipping the script and then become a landlord just like that. Okay, right? maybe, so, we'll, maybe we'll have but, to do an episode on Monopoly. What's good about it is that we might disagree agree on these scores yeah right so that's that gets back to the point of like we're not actually we're not this is not a critical exercise to try and come to a nearest approximation of objective worth or value Mm -hmm. or even necessarily a subjective disagreement based on taste or Mm -hmm. preference Mm -hmm. right it's more about just having like an open-ended conversation about how the game works as a as an engagement of subject matter within complex or you know sort of um rich gameplay yeah so we're gonna rate it on a scale of zero to ten. Oh, we're lit oh not one to ten we're oh, zero to ten Let's say, i mean zero is like slap the goose egg on somebody yeah yeah zero we, we said <laughs> we said maybe like tic-tac-toe could be like it's pretty yeah zero. just like the most right. abstract game yeah you there's like of, yeah. i mean we, we would say that's like sort of like an area control game meaning right. like we're trying to maintain area of certain mm-hmm. part of the map or something like that yeah. but i mean you could actually think it's like bare, the this the subject matter is barely there yeah right, right and it's right. It, it, you could slap on any story on that and it's not going to really change the gameplay yeah. right where and and we're not we're not really settled on like an example for 10 what would a 10 would be but it's let's just say right it's very deeply uh subject matter driven yeah the game could not work without the subject matter right. might be a good way of thinking about it and i don't know if there are any examples we of that, might but... you know we can maybe open up the discussion to audience to listeners at some point about yeah, this sure. and yeah, we can, yeah, we can yeah. say like is there something that you would put a 10 right and yeah. so i and and so 
just so that we're not cheating uh, our own little game here, we've written down our scores on a piece of paper ahead of time so that we don't influence each other's scores through this discussion, right? This is our impression based on the one play or maybe two plays that we've had, or maybe we've had played this game a lot, but just the the one play that we had with our expert, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, And so that we... Now we have a different understanding of the subject matter. We have a different understanding of the game. What would be our rating for this? All right, you go first this time. Okay, I'm going to go first this time. Um, I said nine. Nine, okay. Yeah. Uh, do you want to say a little bit about your nine before I go, or do you want me to go and then we'll go back and forth? How do you want to do this? Uh, well, let me say a little bit. Okay, you know, go for I'll, it. Go I'll, for d- it. I'll defend my, uh, my nine a little okay. bit. Yeah, with sure, a little sure, bit sure. of logic and reason. Quite high. On our scale of zero to ten. Very high. And I I think that this game really would be I mean, there's things about it. I mean, the, the hexagons, the the, mm-hmm. the 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 way that it's it looks like a comb, the way that the the swarming mechanic works, the way that the um, queen bee personality stuff yeah i mean I, I think that stuff is maybe a tiny bit transferable to another subject matter setting or theme or something like that yeah yeah but really i think this was thoroughly infused with the bee lives yeah and uh-huh. and it, I, I, the, the the pieces of course the visuals of course i mean everything i mean the dye was even like the right color of a bee right yes and yeah and so but i think that the the mechanics like that, that my example of the swarming mechanic right it made more sense when we understood bee lives mm-hmm. better mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i would maybe knock it back a little bit like i'm not going to give it a 10 for instance Maybe I'd give it an eight point five overall, but you know, I, oh, like, really? it's like a nine or eight point five. Now that I'm, so I'm sort of adjusting my score. Anyway, I think that. Um, <laughs> well, hold that thought until I go. Yeah, I think that the the, the score adjustment thought, not your thoughts in general. The dice rolling was a little weird. Mm-hmm. Does not seem like it would be that. So we use dice rolling just in conflict in this mm-hmm. game, and I I'm always on the fence about dice rolling in conflict. I didn't really understand the the point of the uncertainty until actually right at the end we were talking about, Heather pointed out, I didn't even notice, she pointed out that the, um, what is it, an eight-sided die? It's a D8. Mm-hmm. The D8 only goes up to four, so each number is, is, is printed twice. Yeah, right. And I was like, oh, oh, that's interesting. And then I realized, oh, so this is a check on the players so that you can't, like, mount eight B raids. Right. Because you're never going to have more than a four B right. raid. And that just um, seems like, it's just a balance issue, yeah, I guess, probably. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't really feel like I'm imagining bees like flying against each other yeah. and rolling dice and things like that. I mean, right. that just... The, the the combat mechanic here, right? Let's just call it that because that's what it is. Yeah. We're going mm-hmm. out to fight each mm-hmm. other. Stealing honey. Right. It doesn't seem like... They could be anything, right? It could be dogs, like, you know, like packs sure. of wolves or something. Sure, right? sure, it doesn't sure. feel specifically like bee-like. Yeah, um, we maybe should have asked a little bit more about what that actually looks like at the level yeah. of bee behavior. What happens when they raid hives? Yeah, we should have. Yeah. I mean, we we have illustrations of it on the yeah. on the game art, which is which are cute, you yeah. know. And, mm-hmm. and well, the game's yeah. super cute. Yeah, same. It's very very cute. Bees are cute too. Yeah, they are. Right. Which is cutest probably... bug? My vote, maybe. <laughs> what bug is cuter? Yeah. Well, ladybugs. Oh, ladybug might be top cute bug. Yeah. Bumblebee is a close second to Ladybug, Bumblebee though. I mean, there's really no one else in the race. Yeah. Bumblebee, Ladybug. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Listeners will send in tons of cute bugs. I'm uh, sure. Hungry, hungry caterpillar. 
pretty oh, cute. Oh, caterpillars are cute too. Except they're kind of slimy sometimes. But they're not they're not cute caterpillars forever. Yeah, that's true. Some but then they turn into beautiful butterflies. Yeah, but which butter- are also cute. They're well, they're majestic. I think right. a bumblebee is particularly cute. Yeah, 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 sure. You know, it's cute. Yeah. So that so it's very fuzzy. very well tied in here, right? Yeah. Cute aesthetics, <laughs> all this stuff, right? I, I give it a nine. Uh, you give it a nine. Okay. So I actually gave it, and I'm realizing as you were giving your talk that we didn't talk about um, point fives. Mm. I gave it eight point five. Yeah. So okay. I, I went out on a limb and gave it a yeah. half point. Yeah. I gave it an eight point five. Also very high. Also very high, and that's because I really do think. That while on some level, right, you could pick out little things about it, mechanical things. Mm-hmm. But this is the thing about mechanics, right? It's like, oh, it's but it's just a worker placement game. You could do any kind of worker placement mm-hmm. game. But if you're gonna make a game about bee lives, it definitely should be a worker placement game. And as a worker placement game, I felt like and playing it with I felt like this before we sat down with Heather, but playing with Heather only solidified this impression. Is it is a fairly accurate representation of the different competing demands that are placed on a colony of bees mm-hmm. as they're trying to like manage their population as like essentially, you know, the work of survival and reproduction that all organisms go mm-hmm. go through and deal with. So I thought that was really great. And I did think that the meaningful play moment in which like worlds collide also modeled something interesting about like ecosystems and environments and competing sets of the same organism. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I knocked it down from wasn't necessarily the conflict thing, though I do take that point. I think it's a good one. The thing that I knocked it back to an 8.5 is that actually as we talked about it with Heather yesterday and played through it, there is no incorporation or sort of nod to incorporate uh, human nature mm-hmm. into that wider, oh, into yeah, that wider system point. or yeah, into the competing one. demands that are placed on hives. And that's, uh, I, at first I thought that wouldn't, you know, big deal. But after talking to Heather, it was even more brought home, not just because, yes, bees in the world, especially in North America, for instance, have to deal with pesticides or things mm-hmm. like that as mm-hmm. external pressures, but also just the history of bees as mm-hmm. being deeply, deeply enmeshed yeah. with human societies and human agricultural practices as a sort of domesticated species in a lot of ways, the honeybee in, in particular, mm-hmm. right? It sort of felt like, oh, that doesn't feel quite um, quite like, you know, like it's missing a big portion of like how we understand this. Mm-hmm. Like it'd be like having a game about um, sheep without having shepherds or fences, right? Or anything yeah. like that. Yeah, um, yeah that's, that's really and, interesting. And a, and a part of what, what sort of like stuck out to me about that too is that actually the visual components do incorporate that. The visual components yeah. have all these nods to human nature. There's a bee box on the back of each of the player mm-hmm. boards. There are houses on some of the tiles. Um, and so it's not naive about that. It's not innocent about no, it. No, no. But it just, at the level of the game, at the mechanical integration, right, it didn't include yeah. that as an, a meaningful element. Yeah, that was good. Which yeah, I thought would have... totally true. But that's not necessarily a knock on the game, because the game is complex enough For as sure. it is, right? And yeah, the game it almost needs captures... like a pesticides expansion. Pes- yes, like the pesticides that. expansion. Yeah. yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah. Or, or like a, I don't know... A, climate change expansion yeah right like different that. season pack where it's just overheating every time right Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah i also a winter was a problem for me right mm. like because some winters are are mild mild and some yeah. are worse or you know some might give them well, like a break in the middle of february you get a week to like go around and like i don't know yeah go do something none of that was there it's like you could use, every single that's time. a spot where you could use a dice right. roll maybe right you just right. roll a d6 yeah and, totally that'd be great yeah yeah that would be nice anyway though i mean i think 8.5 is very high for I, us. Yeah, I can't imagine be hard for us to to hit a number higher than that. I can't imagine playing this game about something else. For sure. Like there are so many yeah. um like 
core mechanics and and core little systems built of two inter or th- two or three mm-hmm. interlocking mechanics that only make sense yeah. in the context of bees. Yeah, I think an eight point five or above would be our recommendation for if you want to learn about this subject matter, understand how to play the game, play the game, mm-hmm. and you will know a little bit more about the subject matter. Yeah. Or on the flip side, if you know a lot about the subject matter but are interested in exploring how that subject matter might be communicated in the form of a game, you should definitely pay Bee Lives. Awesome. Like, I think Heather probably is, I think she said, so on. maybe the mics were turned off, hmm. was happy to have played it and had fun. And mm-hmm. we actually asked her if you were at a, like a convention for work of people who research and study bees professionally and you saw people playing Bee Lives, would you feel compelled to sit down? She said, oh, absolutely. She said, yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. So totally did. I think there's a lot, a, conversation a lot there to think about, about right? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I guess that's a that's a good place to stop. I think um, you know we're that's our rating. Let's say eight point seven five, mm-hmm. and um, we'll we, have two tracks. We can have two tracks. Yeah, yeah. Charting yeah. Steve, our Steve, Steve's track nine and eight point five. Jordan's track. Yeah, we're we're good. Yeah. Well, I, I, I nothing's ever going to be a ten. I predict that now. Yeah, I can't imagine. We'll see. A 10. You know what? I think a ten might exist if the game were very simple. Yeah, sure, sure, You know, like a five-minute game where, like, it's just perfectly communicates that one thing it wants to communicate. Or things that are very embodied, you know, like social deduction games can sometimes feel close to a time when you're playing them because it's like, that just lied to me. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, he did lie to you, you know? Um, I think think it'll be hard to get to a 10, but um, this this game did great. Um, That's Be Lives. We will only know Summer. concludes this episode of subject matter tabletop thank you to heather for joining us and talking with us about bee lives and her expertise yes thank you heather so much thank you to justin armstrong for supplying the wonderful tunes that have made it into this episode and probably future episodes killer killer tunes big thanks to justin and thank you to taylor for sharing the logo that you see on the various web outlets Yeah, love the logo. Please rate, review, subscribe, and feel free to get in touch. We hope you'll join us again, and thanks for listening.